It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another season of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the 20th of October. We are proud today to be starting our third season. I am indeed Paul and my co-host, as always, from Rocky Top and the Ball Network is Brandon Parks. Hello, Mr. Parks. Three years and they said it wouldn't last, but here we are. Three seasons, I should say, they said it wouldn't last. Um, how are things uh, down in Florida? All is good, I can tell you, up here on Rocky Top. I'm sure they are. I, I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that if this podcast goes sideways at all, that you're not going to throw anything at me. <laughs> That is not exactly the week to be talking about throwing objects. Uh, as we had an entertaining weekend uh, for 59 minutes at Neyland Stadium, and then uh, and then we came up a yard short, and I think everybody knows what happens from there. I guess you could say it's the rest of the story. <laughs> well, we won't go there today because our topic today is sponsorship sales and the differences in the pro and college environment. So at Knox Sports, we are lucky enough to work with both college and pro teams all across the country. But today we are extremely fortunate to welcome a special guest who has made a career selling in both of these environments. So Bill Houston has been a lead seller for the San Antonio Spurs, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then he took his show to college where he sold to the University of Central Florida and is now the senior associate AD at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Houston. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And by the way, your 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 joke was funny, but might have been a touch too soon. Too yeah. soon, but it was hilarious. There, <laughs> my wife uh, my wife says that to me all the time. I, I, I she never laughs at anything I say. Um, I was appreciated, Brandon, even guffawed. Uh, so, Bill, you started you started in the pros, and then you gravitated to college. And I know your current paycheck may dictate this answer, but which one do you like better, and why? You know, if you had asked me that question when I started at UCF. Uh, you know, about a year in, I probably would have said the pros. Um, but but as time has gone on, I, you know, I, I, I do actually prefer the college space a little bit better. Just the the passion that is that is shown for for it from the fan base, uh, the pace that it works at is is far more enjoyable. You know, the longer you're at, in this business, you start to appreciate certain things um, that you that you didn't necessarily prioritize when, when you're a young man and all you think about is how much money you can make and, you know, all the, the notoriety and everything. But once you get past that college, there's nothing like college space. There's, you know, I, I liken it to um, I've been in meetings with people and you can hear them when they talk through like their loyalties to professional teams and everything. It's, it's very cut and dry, but it doesn't matter what college you go to how bad they are, how long they've been bad. You never, ever let go of that, that college feeling. And that's the part you have to tap into. So I would probably say that's a long-winded answer to say in college. Well, we love long-winded answers they, they, on the podcast. <laughs> if we didn't, then Brandon would not be a part of it. <laughs> Precisely. So, hey, Bill, so, so you go to Southern Methodist University, graduate in 1989, and we won't joke about how long ago that's been, but 1989, and your, mm -hmm. your first experiences in sports marketing specifically really are all professional-based. Was it a goal of yours to go professional? Is, is that where your head 
was that upon graduation or were you just trying to find the first opportunity? Because you certainly did go pro for a, an extended period of time. You know, uh, you know, actually, ironically, when when uh, I got the job with the Spurs, I was in sports. When I graduated college, I just wanted to be in sports. It was the only thing that I ever really loved growing up. Uh, so I was actually a production assistant at ESPN. Uh, so I was doing highlights and things like that, you know, and writing the little scripts for you hand them to the talent and then they, you know, go and do what they do and what you see at the end, you know, the end result is what you see on SportsCenter. Uh, but, but when a chance to, to go and work for the Spurs came along, I was from, even though I was from New York, I loved Texas and, and there was an opportunity to be in, in sales for, for the San Antonio Spurs. And, and to be quite frank, they could have told me, Hey, we want you to come and do PR or what I would have done anything, you know, but it was an opportunity. Sales was, was kind of something I, I guess I was naturally inclined to do anyway. So, so it just worked out from there. So having, having been on both sides of the equation, Bill, and Brandon and I, um, I mean, I, you know, we obviously have been either selling or buying for a long time, but you having been on both sides, college and pro in terms of techniques, do you sense, are there any technique differences selling for the college or program? Maybe, maybe in the manner of presentation that you have to do, maybe in the clothes or maybe even the uh, type of hospitality that you have to, uh, that you have to use to get, to get the deal done. What, what are some differences between the two in terms of sales techniques? You, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that there are certain, certain things that don't ever change, you know, um, trust, you know, having integrity, you never get a first, you, know, you never get a, a chance to, to make a, you know, a, another impression on somebody. You know, I, what I tell people, whether they're starting in college or pros or whatever, you can spend a career doing this and doing everything correctly. But if you make a mistake at the wrong time, it will, it will set you back years. You, you know, your, your integrity is the only thing you can hold on to, you know, and, and, and keep that, keep that close to the vest and you, you should be successful regardless. Um, I think when it comes to the pros, you have a lot of, you have a lot more uh, resources at your, at your disposal. So, so there's times where you can, you can throw money at something because you know, the organization has the money in order to, to make something good or fulfill a promise or whatnot. But on the college side, you know, I think you're, you're, far more uh, beholden to the conceptual sales process. Um, it is not, um, it is not something that, that people understand so easily, you know, but you can tie into the passion a whole lot more than you can on the pro side. The pro side is such a business, you know, it's the business proposition. So people look at it very finitely in that, in that regard, but well, in college, it's, it's certainly a, a more conceptualized sell. I, I want to dig into a, one of the answers there. I think it's interesting. You say you can throw money at the problem. And, and, and mm -hmm. I think that's true. There's no argument there. But when you say that, it just, <laughs> it, it, because you're right. I mean, the, we're going to talk you know, a little bit later about how the fact that the numbers are just dramatically different and they, they're not yeah. justified in my eyes for a lot of guys, mm -hmm. but you're right. So you got a, you've got a client that is maybe not happy, maybe upset, or maybe hasn't closed mm -hmm. yet. You have the resources in a pro environment to take that guy or gal with you across the country to fly him wherever to do. You, you literally can throw money at them. You can give them sweets. You yes. can do all these. It, it's just a whole different gig, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, I, I can, I can give you an example. Um, 
I was trying, I was in the midst of closing a, a, a larger deal with a, with a partner um, at the Jaguars. And it literally came down to uh, a fulfillment cost of, for whatever reason, the client was not going to pay it. They were steadfast and just saying, hey, if you can't pay for this, we're not doing this deal. Without even thinking, I just said, okay, we'll pay for it. Because in my head, the small amount of money that we were asking for was going to be offset by the large amount of money they were going to give us. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, if I did that working at UCF or working at, you know, at the University of Tennessee, I, that would be an entirely different conversation. It would be you a know, conversation. I, I, yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it, would, it would be a short one, you know, whereas after, after that conversation in Jacksonville, I literally walked down to my boss and said, hey, I had to do this. And he was like, oh, okay, fine. And just turned around and walked off. Never thought twice about it. And and in Jacksonville, Jacksonville's not Chicago. Jacksonville's not New York. We were as about as budget conscious as you get for an NFL team. And he didn't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's the difference. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, I'll just ask the question. Why, why is there such a big pricing gap between sponsorship sales in the professional realm versus the college realm? Is, is college playing catch up? I think whether it is whether it is real or imagined, um, because you could ask, you know, if you come to you know a place like Knoxville, Tennessee, and ask what's bigger, pros or college, the answer is obviously going to be college. But the perception is that the NFL is the king of kings when it comes to sponsorship sales or, or sports in general. You know, I've heard the comment that they took over a day. They took on Jesus and won. If you think about it, people on Sunday think of two things. They take on, they, they think of church and they think of football and they think of NFL football and not necessarily in that order, you know, and, and the numbers bear it out. If, if you look at college, I mean, uh, pro sports, uh, particularly the NFL, it, it, it gets the most money for TV. It has some of the highest salaries. You know, the ownership values for those teams are higher than, than most, you know, from a, from a group or from a league or higher than anything else. There's a reason for that. And they, use, they utilize all those things to, to generate the maximum amount of dollars all the time. It is a brilliant marketing machine. It really yeah. is. And, and you're, you're right, Bill. I mean, but with all those things being true, and again, we're, we're shills for the college game um, in a lot of ways here, yeah. and you are now too. What's so interesting is we're not selling television. Right. And so neither of those NFL teams, yeah. none of those NFL teams control their own television. And so those numbers are held up against the wall as the gold standard as to why everything should be expensive. But the reality is, is they're selling the same stuff that the college teams are selling for four months less activation. And yet they feel justified with almost the same audience and not even in some cases, not even close to the same audience. Uh, as a collegiate partners, it's just really, really interesting. But Brandon, that, that question is what we all ask all the time, right? When you're, you're probably competing against uh, all the teams in Nashville for the same dollars. And, and those teams are asking two times, three times what you are. And it's easy. You walk in the door and say, I'm going to be able to deliver all the following and at a third of the price. I, I was just going to ask the question, are there having sold both with the Jacksonville Jaguars and then had UCF and now Tennessee, are there glaring sponsorship opportunities that you had access to at Jacksonville 
versus what you potentially have access to to sell and include in packages, both at UCF and Tennessee? Are there are there asset differences or, or is the majority of the, the inventory the same kinds of inventory across both? No, for the majority, it's it's the assets are pretty much the same. And in, in reality, um, one of the huge benefits that college has over the pros is that it's it, you have multiple sports to get you throughout the year, whereas as Paul said, it's a, it's a shorter window, you know, a, a shorter, you know, uh, implementation window on the NFL side. Uh, I think the, the larger difference is that the NFL will tend to move quicker on certain categories and things of that nature than, than universities in the college space will simply because you're dealing with student athletes and younger people and you have a, a larger, you know, you have that consideration. And then, you know, the reality is, the university structure around the country typically isn't the most like quick moving you know, in, yeah. in, in decisions when it comes to things like that. But that's the biggest advantage is that it, it can move faster. And, and of the major sports, if you really look at it, the NFL probably moves slower than, than major league baseball and NFL and, 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 and the NBA uh, when it comes to, you know, various categories, but it's still faster than the college space. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, you know, I'd always felt, and you said it earlier, Bill, I mean, the, the, the passion of the fans in college and pro is different, not lesser, just different. The, the pro fan tends to focus on individual players. They tend to focus on, you know, those, those, and I, I, I you know, for a thousand years until this year, which is where my question is leading, uh, that was a truism. And the college fan always tend to focus on the team, the colors, mm-hmm. the school, all those other things. My question, which I, I, I'm scared of, is do you think NIL changes the passion that a fan has toward, toward collegiate sports? I, I, I do not. Um, you know, I think that, that NIL um, in its initial stages will have this big, you know, uh, I hate to use the word effect, but I think people will look at it initially um, as, oh, it's going to change the way people look at, at college sports. I, I don't, you know, I think what college student athletes are going to figure out, what, what colleges are going to figure out is pretty much what, what NFL people or, or professional sports people figure out is that NIL is a, is a terrific thing. And I'm, and to get into whether or not, you know, it's right for college sports or not, I'm, I'm not smart enough to get into all the, <laughs> all the, the details, but it's going to affect on a large scale, a very small percentage of student athletes, you know, particularly the way college is now, you know, college, you know, college kids aren't staying as long as they usually, you know, as they used to gone are the days where, you know, the majority of the kids stay four years. And if you're going to stay four years or whatever, you can maximize something like NIL. But um, I, I just don't think, I, I don't think it's going to have the effect. I, that I, everybody I, thinks it's going to. You might be right, but I, I'm I'm scared of the fact that you know when I I remember you know would take my son to to you know pro games in my former life when I was working for the Bucks and 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 or you know even afterwards and you hear all these fans yelling at players and you said you know what that that, that gentleman down there or that lady down there is earning a good mm-hmm. living and and maybe they deserve it maybe they don't but they focused on players happy sad and different they focused on players mm-hmm. but. You never felt like it was ever justified in a college stadium. You could never yell at a player. That kid is out there working for free. You know, they're doing, they're working for their scholarship, whatever that is. 
mm-hmm. and you start and, and and I just I get a little I get a little I get a little antsy when I see quarterbacks earning six figure contracts and seeing what is the blowback when that guy doesn't do his job from the fan. Yeah, <laughs> and and to that and to that to that end, I think they're seeing it in in uh, in Clemson. I think unfortunately for that young man, the year has not gone the way he's you know he wanted it to. You know, right. um, um, I. I see what you're saying, and I hope it does not go down that 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 path. Unfortunately, uh, you know, and this is this is more of a testament or, and a conversation for another day. But I just think fans in general have become so um, free with with their willingness to express their frustrations on the other team or their own team or an individual or however you want to say it that that it's more of an overall concern for how we are approaching athletes be it professional or student athletes um you know on a personal level you know at, you know just just because we pay to go see the game does not give people the right to say or do whatever they want and i just i, I tend to see that happening in both forms yeah, you know not just you know, right. one or the other so absolutely right bill i, I want to shift gears with you for a second um when you look at you look at some of the professional organizations that you've been with the trailblazers the spurs mm-hmm. the jaguars and then you look at the athletics departments that you've worked within. Can you talk about, from an infrastructure standpoint, what size staff a professional group will have for sales and marketing versus college looks so different? Because in a lot of instances, you have these multimedia rights agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're a good example of that at Tennessee, where, where, where you're with the athletics department, but your day-to-day really interacting with the Vol Network staff. We're a team of nine full-time staff members, mm-hmm. um, which includes our, our general manager, all of our sellers, and then our service coordinators. Um, how does that stack up with the, uh, with the professional organizations that you've been with? My hunch is those professional organizations are, the staffs are much larger. Um, I'm going to tell you, in, it, it just depends on the philosophy of the organization itself. So you're, you're both right and, and wrong in that, in that assumption, because in Jacksonville, and for the record, I'm usually wrong. In I, you know, I wasn't going to say that I was going to let you admit it yourself, but that, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but, but, um, but the reality is it just depends on the market and the philosophy of the organization, because in Jacksonville, there were five of us, you know, right. in, in Portland, Oregon, there were 13, 14 of us. You know, um, uh, with the Spurs, it was two sponsorship salespeople in for the in, for the entire thing, and one service person. Wow! Uh, at, you know, so at, at UCF there were a to- there were two salespeople, two service people. You now, so I, it, it just depends. It, it, it's a very you know, some people believe in in you know getting as many people in so you can cover as much of the market as you possibly can. Others look at it as, you know, they're going to look at economy of scale and say, okay, our, our market is only so big, we can cover this much and, and be more economical in, in, in our approach and still still reach the majority of the masses. Well, and, and I think, you know, Brandon's, Brandon, just because, you know, I have to co-host with you uh, again next week, I, I will say you're mostly right. My experience around the country is that these staffs are um, somewhat ridiculous in how big they are in most cases. Bill, you've cited a lot of examples where you came where they were somewhat smaller, but 
Mm-hmm. I, I, as a, as a buyer, I get frustrated uh, with the pro model. I say the pro model where you deal with someone incredibly competent. You deal with a Bill Houston, you get a deal done with Bill Houston, and then you get dumped on a 23 year old junior chipmunk uh, that has <laughs> just been hired to, uh, to execute this, you know, multi-million dollar partnership. And they, and then you don't talk to that seller again uh, for three more years uh, until the deal is up. And it's very frustrating, uh, the pro model, I will say, where they have lots and lots and lots of people. They have a social media staff. They have a execution staff. They have a hospitality staff. And they have all... The, the bottom line is, I just want one person to love our account enough to know every piece of it so that when it's time to have a problem or a solution or a hug that person knows what's going on, which to me is a, a more of a collegiate model. And I get very frustrated with the size, scope, and depth, which I think is unnecessary at the pro game. That's just my opinion. And Paul, I'm gonna, I, I will tell you, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, like I said, as, as Brandon has pointed out, I have been around for a while and, and to watch the change um, in that philosophy is, is one of the things that I, I deem is kind of un- unfortunate. Um, I, I'm a big believer that, that as a salesperson, you have to, it's a, it's a partnership for a reason. It's a relationship. It's not just this transactional, you know, occurrence that, that takes place. Uh, and, and the reason you have those relationships is for situations where, you know, it's not an optimal, you know, time in, in either that company or your organization's you know, history and it's those partnerships and relationships that you have that will get you through those. Yeah. Um, in the, in the absence of that and, and the creation of this, I, I guess you want to call it, you know, a more efficient model uh, as far as utilizing the time of the salespeople. Um, it does. It helps you with the, with the numbers, you know, it'll certainly help you with the numbers. I don't know if, it helps you with the sustainability of those partners or if you're, or you're gambling on that you can replace them with somebody else. And that's a dangerous game to play, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, I think there has to be somewhere in the middle um, where, where salespeople have to be able to continue to develop those relationships. Because I know as a salesperson, the last thing I want is I show up and the person goes up, it must be time to give me money again. That's the only time I see you. Yeah, that's the worst. That's the worst comment you can hear as a salesperson. Well, Brandon, I I got I got another one question for him. You may have more, but, you know, Tennessee orange is unique. It it is if it's found in nature, I don't know where. Um, And 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 it's also not found on the average American male uh, very often uh, outside the the state of Tennessee. But I, I got a question for you, Bill, as you as you moved up to Knoxville, did you budget enough money uh, or did the university give you enough moving dollars or maybe Brandon dumped hundreds of dollars of alumni uh, hall gift cards on you? How did you budget to get that much Tennessee orange that is necessary to do that job well? I am absolutely unprepared. I was not prepared for how much orange I was going to have to purchase and buy. You know, I, it's, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll spend the money if I have to. I, it's funny when I first got here, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy something or I'm going to have one shirt that's orange, just solely orange. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to have one orange hat. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to have one orange like pullover. And pretty soon my, like now I've got more orange in my closet than, than, than anything else. And you figure out a way to, 
to make it work. It's it's a great color once you once you get your mind around it. But when you first walk in, it hits you like a ton of bricks, and you're like, "There's no way I can wear this. I'm gonna look like a road cone." But no, <laughs> it, it's but uh, it's been it's been terrific. It, it's great. I love it. Paul, let me ask one question, Bill. So you've been here. Gosh, has it been seven, eight months now? Uh, six months. Six months. Okay. Yeah. Um, what surprised you the most about the University of Tennessee? Oh, easily the passion of these fans. I've, I've never seen anything in all the markets I've ever been in. I thought, I thought Jacksonville was, was maniacal, but this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. When you, when you look at Last week was or this past Saturday was a perfect example. I, it's the first time in my life I'd ever been in a building with a hundred thousand people, and to hear the noise and to see everything that went on, it was amazing. But it's just the passion of these these fans in general. When you understand that they had the the area code changed to spell Vol, that says it all. You know, for me, I, I you know, yeah. and I get that question all the time. And I said, guys, there is nothing in the country like this. I, I, I want somebody to prove me wrong. I, I just don't believe there is. One thing to Bill's point about the passion of the Tennessee fan base, we did have a challenging weekend last weekend, but it, it lasted for one minute of the game time. So 59 minutes of our Neyland Stadium experience uh, I will tell you uh, was absolutely extraordinary. And what Bill – and specifically Alicia Longworth um, in the UT Marketing uh, and External Office, uh, what everyone accomplished on Saturday with the, with, the, uh, with the light show that we debuted and the atmosphere that was created. I can tell you as a lifelong Tennessee fan and as someone who has attended many, many games at Neyland, that atmosphere was really, really hard to beat. And I hope for our listeners out there um, – Take a look at some of the incredible things that the University of Tennessee accomplished during that Ole Miss game versus the the final minute where we had 200 of our fans who who decided to try to ruin the moment uh, for the over 100,000 that were in the stadium. So it was a it was a special day on campus. It was a special experience for our, our fan base and our team. Um, and, and I hope we don't lose sight of, of what was accomplished this past Saturday. It was it was awesome to watch on television, Brandon. I it was uh, I I couldn't be there obviously, but to, to see the the pregame uh, that they showed some highlights from that and just and you could hear it, you could feel it. Uh, everything about the game, uh, the, you know, is just fun. It's what makes college sports awesome. Uh, and so yeah, it noted and, and thank you. But we are gonna have to wrap up. Um, but I, I did want to uh, I wanted to thank Bill for being an unbelievable guest. We appreciate it, Bill. Welcome to Tennessee. Uh, we appreciate you. you for who you are and for spending time with us. So. On behalf of Brandon Parks, Bill Houston, I am Paul Sickman with Knox Sports, and we thank you for listening to another edition of Knox Talk. See you next time.